Welcome to Large Group, guys. Uh, it's good to have you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, we want you to feel welcome here. My name is Matt. I'm the RUF campus minister here with Wofford RUF. Uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to. Uh, I would love to meet you, and, and Caroline, our intern, would too as well. Um, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we're one of the many campus ministries here on campus trying to walk alongside you during these formative years of college. And we're people trying to figure out what it looks like to love God, love others, love Wofford. But we're more fundamentally a people bound by the reality that before anything else, God loves us. Before we love God and before we love our neighbor, fundamentally, God loves us. And so we belong to be a campus ministry who shows you and teaches you week after week that you were loved by Jesus. Um, uh, this spring, we've been looking at uh, the life of Jonah. And uh, we're in chapter 2 uh, tonight, and uh, you can look in the, the handout there. Text is before you if you want to turn in your Bibles. And we're looking at the life of Jonah, not because Jonah is about a giant fish or even about the prophet Jonah. It's about God's endless mercy to sinners. Jonah's about God's endless mercy to sinners, and we're going to see that tonight as well. Um, so one of my favorite movies is The Dead Poet Society. And if you've seen that movie, you know that the Dead Post Society is, a, is about a group of young boys all in the same English class at this private kind of prep school, boarding school context. And it's a demanding place with tradition and ambition, intellectual rigor and stress. And the group of young boys find themselves in this English class and their professor, John Keating, played by Robin Williams, is their English teacher. And over time, what ends up happening is Mr. Keating begins to have a profound impact and influence on these boys' lives. And with his coaching and help, they become the Dead Poets Society. And they have these secret meetings in caves where they read all of their poems. And they smoke their cigarettes and pipes and do things they can't do on campus. And they're bound by this reality together um, that Mr. Keating has changed the way we see the world and we're trying to figure out how to live in light of that. Friday Night Lights, my favorite TV show, um, is uh, we, we see the same sort of thing where Friday Night Lights is uh, a show about high school football in Texas, and you have an eclectic group of, of young men on this football team, uh, and they end up being profoundly influenced and shaped by their head coach, Coach Eric Taylor. And so whether you're considering the prodigal sons of the Riggins brothers, Billy and Tim, or the loudmouth uh, running back, Smash Williams, and then the like um, stuttering like Matt uh, Saracen, who doesn't, he's so timid and doesn't know how to ask a girl out or talk to his grandma. Um, they're all bound. They're all very different guys. They're all bound by this reality um, that they're shaped by this coach. They're shaped by and compelled by Coach Taylor. And so the phrase that they say before football games, um, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, they say this together in unity because they've been shaped. And I bring this up not just to talk about like my favorite things, um, and the office is not coming next, um, is because I think the same thing is going on in our passage tonight and in the Christian church in general. Because if you think about what Christians are and who they claim to be, the church at large, it's a localized group of people trying to figure out how to live in light of experiencing God's mercy. 
we're all very different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different struggles and sins, and uh, God knows that. God knows how different we are, but we're bound together. We end up being in a room singing and praying. Why? Because we're trying to recover from God's mercy together and figure out, well, how do we even live now? So we're trying to love God and love others. Why? Because God's been merciful to us, and we've experienced it, and we've been changed. Um, and Greg Thompson, who's been uh, profoundly influential to me in this sermon and the way that I've been reading this text, um, he, he, he puts it this way, um, Christians essentially are a group of people trying to recover in their everyday life from the trauma of God's compassion. They're trying to recover from the trauma of God's compassion. And uh, to be sure, uh, that's how Jonah experienced life. Um, he is still in the belly of the fish at this point, and uh, we can certainly characterize what he has gone through as traumatic. So what we're talking about tonight, what happens to someone when they experience God's mercy? How do they change? That's our question. I'm going to read the passage and pray. We're going to walk through it. Friends, this is God's word. He's spoken to you and to me. He's not silent, not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars were closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out to the dry land. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it the message that I tell you. It's God's word, friends. Let me pray that God might teach us. Lord, um, your word indeed is living and active. And we know that to be true because you are living and active. We uh, pray thankfully, but also humbly. And we acknowledge that our minds are restless and our hearts are, uh, are busy. And we need you to slow us down that we might see wonderful things out of your word, and ultimately that we would see your son, Jesus, and that we would be more like him when we leave, uh, because you have shown us yourself. But Lord, we, um, we need your help, truly, and, and I do. So be with me and everyone in this room, and I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about how lives change in light of experiencing God's mercy, and we're going to see it in two ways. Um, first, when you experience God's mercy, you return to God's presence, and then you return to God's purposes. 
You return to God's presence, and then you return to God's purposes. That's what happens when God's mercy gets inside of you. So let's walk through the first one, returning to God's presence. Okay, remember the, the, the story of Jonah. Um, Jonah is the rebel prophet. God came to him and said, here I have uh, my, my purpose and presence for you is to go bear out and bear witness to, to Nineveh and prophesy against them. And Jonah responded to God and said, no, thank you. His heart said that, his feet followed his heart, and he ran away from the presence of the Lord, got on the ship to go to Tarshish. That's what we read. And uh, he had one goal when he left. We've talked about this. His heart was on the run. What was Jonah running away from? Or who was Jonah running away from? The, the scripture tells us, you know, the author of Jonah loves to use repetition. One of the repeated phrases is that Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord, to flee from the presence of the Lord. He wants to go away from God's presence. And remember, guys, that this uh, story, in many ways, the story of Jonah is the story of the Bible, the whole Bible. Uh, the Bible tells the story of God existing before all things, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing together, always present to one another in relationship. Then God created man, Adam and Eve, to dwell with him and to live with him and to experience his presence and love. The purpose of humanity was to dwell in God's presence, to be present with God, to walk with him, to talk with him, to hear from him to live in light of who he is and who he calls us to be. And then in Genesis 3, you know what happens. We, we read that Adam and Eve decided to go their own way, and they rejected God, and nothing has ever been the same. That's what we read in the story of the Bible. And one of the effects of sin is that sin in Jonah's life and the story of humanity is that it takes us down and down and down and actually away from the presence of the Lord, and it separates us from God's presence. And so we find ourselves like the prodigal son away in the far country, broke, eating with the pigs, away from our father. Um, we find ourselves with the prodigal prophet uh, in the belly of the fish and uh, getting on the boat to go to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The story of Jonah, it's the story of the Bible, it's the story of humanity. But the story of Jonah and the story of the Bible is also a story about the depths of God's mercy that's relentless, in which God's mercy restores our relationship with God and returns us to his presence. In many ways, God's mercy says, I want you back with me. I, I made you for myself to dwell with me in my mercy. I'm going to bring you back to me to my presence. In Jesus, God looked at his rebel children and said, I'm going to show you mercy to bring you back to myself. And only Jesus can do this. And Jesus, the Father, looks at his children and says, You're mine. You wanted no part with me. You wanted to run away, and I will not stop chasing you and loving you. Why? Because I want you with me to dwell with me. You were made for my presence. And that's what we see happening with Jonah in this passage. He's returning to God's presence. He's changing. His heart is changing in the depths of, the, of Sheol and in the depths in the sea and the depths of the belly of the fish. And we see him returning to God's presence in two ways. And the first way is this. He's returning to God's presence by calling out to him in prayer. He's just responding to God's grace and mercy by speaking to him, by praying to him. He's saying, I, I want to return to you and I'm crying out. Who can help me? 
Look where I am. Like I, everyone is swallowing me up. I can't see who it will save me. I'm crying out to my God. I want to return to his presence. I want to walk with him. Jonah isn't just crying out, y'all, um, in the belly of the fish for some arbitrary outside help. Jonah is very specific about who he wants to help him. He trusts that God, Yahweh, his God, who he has dwelt with on a personal level, that's who he wants to return to. Not just any God, the one true God, Yahweh, of the Old Testament. That's why he brings up the temple. We brought that up last week. I'm going to sacrifice. He brings up the temple. What did the temple represent in the Old Testament? God's living presence. To dwell with with God and to dwell with man, that's what we were made for, a relationship. Jonah wants to return to God's presence, and so he's praying. He also, we see him returning to God's presence by trusting in God's promises. He trusts in God's promises. In verse 9, he says this crazy thing from the belly of the fish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. How can he say that? Because he has a history with God. The God who has saved his people from Egyptian bondage who's kept his word when they were wandering around in the wilderness, when all the circumstances saying that God has left his people. He's trusting in God's promises that God is a God of salvation and who will save. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's throwing himself on God's mercy and God's faithfulness. So that's not all. Uh, When someone experiences God's mercy, they don't just return to God's presence. They return to his purposes. They return to his purposes. Now remember, um, review again. God had a very specific plan for prophets. Jonah was a prophet. Go speak to a certain group of people. And the people that Jonah was to go speak to, again, the Ninevites, real bad dudes. They did awful things. So Jonah ran away, not just from God's presence, but from God's purposes as well. He's like, I don't, I don't just trust you. I don't, I don't trust you. I'm suspicious of who you are as your, as your like attributes and your person, but also your purposes. I don't trust your purposes, that it's for the good of my soul and for the good of your world. He preferred his own purpose, purposes, and that's why he left town. But God's mercy pursued him, and it changed him. And so we see Jonah return to God's purposes In the end of chapter 2, if you'll look there, in the beginning of verse 3, this is is important here. And the Lord spoke to the fish, vomited Jonah out on the dry land, which always strikes me when I read that out loud, like last week. Um, Verse 3, or uh, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, my bad, y'all. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Guys, uh, chapter one, verse or chapter three, verse one, what I just read, is an exact repeat of God's word in chapter one, verse one. In other words, God is saying, I'm gonna chase you down with my mercy, I'm gonna bring you back to my presence. And I'm going to bring you back to my purposes. We're hitting the reset button. We got to get to work. You have to go bear witness and and extend my purposes out into the world. I've restored you back to my presence, but it's time to get back to my purposes for you, for Nineveh, for my world. 
and I'm relentless in this goal, and I will not stop. That's what God is saying. Again, Greg Thompson has helped me here in noting that the story of Jonah is the story of the Bible. When God creates the world, he did it by speaking it into existence. He loved what he made. What we read over and over again in God's word is that God spoke things into existence. He looks at his creation and he says, it's very good. It's very good. It's very good. But God just didn't create us to dwell with him in his presence. He also created us to participate in his purposes. And so he makes man and woman in his own image. And so God works and rests. And so we take up his purposes of working and resting. God created and named. And so he looks at Adam and even says, go create and name. Tend the garden. God of the Bible is not a God who is aloof, but the, a God who longs for justice and mercy. And he looks at you and me and he says, pursue justice, pursue mercy. You're made in my image. We're to take up God's purposes. That's the story of the Bible. But you know that Adam and Eve, when they rejected God's purposes, they preferred their own. They committed to their own agenda, to their own to-do lists, and everything changed. And, uh, and now, as, as many have, have noted, what the human condition is experiencing is not just exile from God's presence, but an experience of purposelessness. We have no purpose But the Bible says you do, and it's to take up God's purposes in the world. And so we reject God's purposes and will for our life to live in humility. And we seek a life that's prideful and unwilling to admit wrong or apologize to people that we've hurt. We reject God's purpose and plan to love outsiders, and that's why we only talk and hang out with people who talk like us and look like us and dress like us. And we reject God's purposes to be generous, and so we refuse to be flexible with our time and resources, always hurried, always stingy. We will not bend. We are not generous. But the story of the Bible is that God looks at rebels and he has mercy on us. That's the good news of Jesus. In our rejection of his purposes and his mercy, God then realigns our hearts and bodies and minds to his purposes. And we renounce our purposes and by faith, like a child in Jesus, he leads us to the renewal of the world. We have a part to play in bearing witness to God's world that he is on the throne and he is making all things new. We have a purpose. This is the story of the Bible. And what do we see this, y'all? If you look through the history of the Old Testament, God calls Abraham, doesn't he? And he says, don't, hey, don't do your purposes over here. I'm going to call you to be a light to the nations. That they would look at Israel and the whole Gentile world, all of non, the non-believing world would be like, that's how you live. That's who you should worship. By the, what Israel is doing, that's what God called Abraham to do. They call, he called David this way. Out of, of David's purposes of... of all kinds of things, but certainly of being a shepherd. He's like, you're going to be my king. That's my purpose. You're going to rule and reign over my people. God called Paul, didn't he? From a, a life where Paul was committed to his purposes, what did he do? He killed Christians. And then he says, you know what, Paul? I'm going to have, do this like traumatic thing to you that you will never be able to recover from. And I'm going to make you a theologian and a missionary and a pastor to all my churches in the early church. That's what he does to people, y'all. He comes to you and to me, and we experience his his mercy, and it realigns our hearts and minds and bodies to his purposes. We're always called to these purposes. 
And that's Jonah's story. That's Jonah's story. And y'all, when he gets vomited out and he goes to Nineveh, it's not going to get pretty. Like in the next couple weeks, Jonah's still going to fight. Just like you, just like me, just like David, just like Abraham, just like Paul. Thankfully, God will not stop. He is making the world new with or without us. As we kind of land the plane here, uh, I want to close by way of application in terms of there are a lot of ways we can think about how to apply this passage to our everyday life, how to keep chewing on this passage. And I'm just going to, and Greg Thompson's been helpful to me um, in this, two two kinds of people. And here's the first. You can choose uh, which uh, group you're in. Many of you are extremely ambitious and driven when it comes to God's purposes in the world. Many of you, there's, there's several of you and, who are extremely ambitious when it comes to God's purposes in the world, and you're driven in this. And so you've committed yourself to serving your neighbors by becoming a doctor. And so you have spent hours and hours in Millican. You've, you've, you've shadowed older physicians. You keep your GPA at Wofford as high as you possibly can. And I love this about you. You are trying to steward your gifts that God has given you for the common good of the world. I love this. I actually want to pursue excellence in my own pastoral work by seeing the drive in you. Okay? You're trying to do this. You're ambitious with God's purposes. And others of you have taken up God's purposes of pursuing justice in the world. And so you're serving on campus union. You're holding positions in your various organizations on campus. You long for Wofford to be a place that's fair and just. That's what you want for the world. You want everyone in the world, no matter the socioeconomic class they're in or their race or their background, to be treated with dignity. You're committed to this. You get fired up about it. And I love this about you. It's beautiful. Others of you are committed to God's mission of the world, and so you're leaving. You're going. God has told you to go overseas. You're going. You're trusting God. You're serving the poor. You have a heart for underprivileged people, for physically handicapped people, for people who are traumatized. You are fired up about God's purposes for the world. Please keep being concerned about this. Here's one of the things, though. I, I see that you have become, and one of my fears is that we've become so concerned with God's purposes for the world that you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your first love. And so I want to ask you this. Are you someone who is also committed to seeking God's presence, not just his purposes? Are you committed not just to being a laborer out in the fields of the kingdom, but a child with your father? Because we have to be committed to both and ask ourselves honestly, are we committed to both? Are you someone who commits to pursue God's presence by hearing from his word in daily scripture reading, not occasional scripture reading? Are you someone who commits to speaking back to God in daily prayer? The de- you know, look, when Jesus told us to pray the Lord's Prayer, he assumed daily bread means like daily praying, <laughs> right? It's assumed. Christians are those who speak back to God. Are you committed to this? Because the Christian life is not a life where we're just committed to God's purposes, but we pursue His presence. And y'all, we are so busy, this culture of busyness, we won't slow down long enough to rest. Sabbath has never been a category for us. We won't slow down to be a child. And burnout is to come, uh, trust me. 
God wants you to return to his presence. Be a child with your father. He's speaking to you. And look, we, one of the things, you know, when it comes to large group, common prayer, Bible studies, one-on-ones, even RUF lunch where we're not explicitly praying and reading the scriptures, we're not just like arbitrarily picking these avenues. To, we're trying to help you slow down and be a child with Jesus. Like, honestly, like that, like that's what Caroline and I talk about. So uh, I just want to extend like an invitation to all of these things. Come rest with the scriptures and prayer and be a child. And we want to walk alongside you to help you do that. Very difficult to do. I know that. Um, okay, second group. Others of you are zealous in your commitment to God's presence. You're zealous and you're committed to seeking God's presence. And so you're committed to reading God's word. You've been on this like daily grind of daily prayer and scripture and you hit the reset button every New Year's Eve for your like reading plan. Read the Bible in a year. Um, You show up to common prayer and you read uh, your scriptures. You pray with me. You journal your prayers. You show me these prayers. You have read these prayers to me. You're praying for your non-Christian friends for your family members who have sinned against you, who you are struggling to forgive, you're praying for them. You're committed to, to seeking God's presence. And so I want to ask you this question, like, are you someone who's committed to pursuing God's purposes? Are you someone who's committed to pursuing God's purposes? Because here's what happens when we only read the scriptures and pursue God's presence in daily prayer and scripture is the Christian life for us becomes real private. It's just me and Jesus. And Jesus doesn't have a say about my classwork or what I do on Friday or what I do with my girlfriend or what I do with my money. It's just me and Jesus. I'm pursuing his presence. Are you pursuing his purposes? Because God loves you too much to let you pick and choose which life you get to like live with him in. He wants every square inch every square inch of your life. And that's what he's always wanted for us. Not just his presence, but his purposes. Where? Every part of your life. Every part. Class, work, rest, play, laughter, the arts, sports, all of it. All of life. Every square inch. Because here's the the deal. Many of you never miss a large group. You're at corporate worship on Sunday mornings. Tell me, where do you go? You go to church. I see a lot of you at Grace Prez, where we go. And then when you leave, uh, you neglect, you're committing to God's presence, and then you neglect his purposes in your everyday life. And look, this is like, this is where I wake up because we live with hearts that are prone to wander away from our shepherd. That's where we live. But the Apostle James shows us, friends, and this is sobering words, and this is, just, this is just true. We're called to be both hearers and doers of God's word. We've got to be hearers and doers. We've got to be seeking God's presence and his purposes, hand in hand, both of those things. So where, where do you need to be stretched? Because if you call yourself a Christian and you're trying to follow Jesus in college, you probably align more or less with one of those groups. Seeking his presence or seeking his promises or his purposes, do both, please. Um, we want to help you do that. Because listen, you were made 
I'm, I'm, this is the last thing. You were made for God's presence. You were made to dwell with him. You were made not for your purposes, but to take up God's purposes in the world. The only way you are reconciled to God's presence is by Jesus. And the only way you can figure out how to live and take up his purposes is to, is to follow the master, to apprentice yourself to the ways of Jesus. He'll teach you. By his spirit, he'll lead you. He's the good shepherd. You're not alone in doing this. But this is our calling, friends, and uh, let me pray that he'd help us. Lord, thank you for your word, even in...